This episode contains references to child sexual abuse, racism, self-harm, suicidal ideation, drug use, and contains some details of a traumatic incident. Welcome back to Sound Effects. This is part two of my Oasis and Mental Health mini-series in collaboration with James from Oasis Podcast. In the last episode, you heard me and James interviewing Manchester comedian Rachel Fairburn. And in this episode, I'm going to be speaking to another female Oasis fan called Cynthia. And um, those of you who are familiar with Oasis podcast will have heard Cynthia speak on there. She is a stylist at Selfridges, having originally been a teacher in Canada. At the time, she explained her story of uh, her expertise around um, looking into the style of Oasis and how the fashion of Oasis changed. There was another part of her story which, at the time, she hadn't gone into, but I learned something about Cynthia which I really wanted to speak to her about, and it's very specific to the theme of mental health. It's a very, very moving story. This interview I did on my own because James had already interviewed her before, and so I hope that you'll get a new perspective and it's interesting to me that so far the two interviews that we've put up on this Oasis and Mental Health special are with women. Whilst that wasn't deliberate, it's kind of telling because until now a lot of the narrative around Oasis has promoted this lad culture idea that Oasis are a lads band and that's not the case. So here it is, my interview with Cynthia. There's a feeling that I, I get, and I know my story is very different to yours, but I think I can, when a lot of us are talking about Oasis, we're talking about that feeling, and that's what I'm picking up on from you. If if I take you back in a way to that moment when you were sort of in your early teens to 15 before Oasis, before you'd heard Oasis, you said you were a fan initially of like Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, Hole. What was the feeling that those bands gave you at the time? Mm, interesting. Okay, so I, I still to this day like love Courtney Love like just she is the queen for me of just I guess like I just I love that attitude where like they just don't give a fuck and I I, I, I liked actually perhaps they were angry I'm not sure but perhaps like you know there's a lot of anger in the in the uh, songs I suppose like you know Nirvana like screaming teen spirit and it's just like this sense of rebellion or like, just like, you know, I don't want to fit into the system. Like not, not really knowing that you're about to enter a system, I suppose, as a teenager, but I don't know, I guess Smashing pump. it was all very like loud and screaming and expressive. And probably I just really like vibed with that. I'm not sure why I've never thought about that, but uh, yeah, I think it, I think it's quite angry, I guess. I think it's quite angry music. You should learn how to say no.
would you say that you were feeling angry around that time? Yeah, as even my shoulders here, I can feel it. Um, I suppose I was angry, you know, I suppose, I suppose I was pissed off that my parents were divorced, that I had to visit my, my dad every second weekend, and he wouldn't let me see my friends. I was, you know, I was pissed off that I was mixed race, and I didn't understand, you know, why everyone else, you know, I don't know, I just, I had encountered racism for the first time, not knowing what it was, like, I just, I guess I was, I, I had to have been, I guess. Yeah. So you're naming quite a lot of things there, like racism and um, having divorced parents. And you mentioned your siblings and not getting on well with them. Were you, were you all living together? So we lived together, but hated my sister. Yeah, maybe there is a lot of anger there. This is crazy. I hated my sister, like not allowed to talk to me, not allowed near me. My brother was in and out of the house, but he's always in foster foster families and love and hate relationship with him. And, you know, very mean to my sibling, like just not understanding feelings and why I'm so mean and why. Yeah, I was angry. I was angry. The whole thing. Now that you say <laughs> it was, you know, the other thing that really bothered me was the working class, because you don't you don't understand when you're that old why your parents are telling you you can't have all the shit you want that you see all your friends having you don't understand why you're not going on holidays and your mom doesn't drive the land rover like i i didn't get that i i was sick of being poor i didn't like not having clothes you know yeah i was just i guess i was mad <laughs> i could have been mad How, what was school like I, I was an overachiever, I suppose. Um, I loved school. It was the only safe place I felt. Teachers would validate you, I suppose. You know, I, I was always pulled out of one grade and put into the higher grade to do more work. And I mean, I had friends, but um, I never really felt normal. Nobody, nobody around me was uh, from a divorced family uh, with such constraints around, you know, the parents. Uh, allowing who you could see and who you couldn't see. Therefore, uh, I had also suffered sexual abuse uh, when I was young um, in the family. So, you know, I never really ever properly had a boyfriend or anything, any relationships like that. Like I just, I, I was a bit of an outsider, but maybe in my, maybe just keeping it very, um, hiding it but or something or appearing that things are quite under control yeah things are quite under control and I don't care you know kind of like and I, and I always could see that in Noel you know when he'd just be quietly playing the guitar beside Liam and you just know you know the guy's been hit by his parents and you know he obviously does not like any aggression or anything now he's very sensitive to that even though he gives that like oh, i don't give a shit kind of but yet the pain comes out through through the achievement right through the music through the writing through that's what i think yeah. uh you know i loved about him is i could see him taking that hurt and making something beautiful out of it and i just wanted to do the same yeah. you know
want to kind of acknowledge that you said to me that you were sexually abused and and how hard that that must have been and also the the kind of um the the secrecy around it that that can create and and trying to exist in a family where maybe people don't want to acknowledge it um, or won't hear it or, or maybe they did I don't know in your situation but um, how easy it can be to feel really alone in that. Yeah and I mean like it's it's something that um, I'm still dealing with to the day right like you know to, to today and yeah it's just, it's just it was definitely another thing another another weight another just another reason why I was maybe mad at life or or just another thing to get over and the scars and like just I just I don't know I just always found refuge or some sort of calmness in in Noel's voice like it there was there was there was the silent power from from Noel in the back Noel just always gave me this sense of security his voice was very calming I, I thought it was very beautiful as well in, in his own way he 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 sounded completely different and he approached songs not in a you know, way, but he, he, he made them beautiful as well. And there was just something a bit calming. I wanted more calmness. I mainly think it soothed me. Yeah. Is there a particular song you're thinking of when you say that? Uh, well, my favorite song in the whole world for sure is, um, it's Champagne Supernova. And I think it's like, you know, when you get to the end where there's, I think there's like a 45 second interlude mm. coming off of Morning Glory, is it? Yeah. And then, yeah. So you, you have this like, that. that's a pretty hard song. Like, you know, it's awesome, but it's like hard. It's about drugs. It's, you know, and then you have this interlude where all of a sudden you hear this water, you know, crouching and you just know that like, you know, that's coming and then you know it's like champagne supernova and then it's just seven minutes of like just peacefulness and then my favorite part is like you know Liam singing the whole time which you know Noel wrote it but then you have this beautiful part at the end where Noel gives the falsettos and it's gorgeous right it's just, and it's just they need to be together right it's just it's gorgeous and it's I think that is just you know, anytime, even now, you know, through lockdown, you know, I'm, I'm listening to Spotify on random and, you know, I'm in my stuff doing my things and you hear that water. Yeah. And it's part of the song and it's like, it's like right away, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's like a blanket, you know, it's like. dog association because even when I'm hearing the sound of waves if I'm on holiday or something I think of that song and uh, that, that happens uh, and, and as you're saying it I'm just hearing it in my head and thinking yeah I, I can feel that calm Wake up the dawn and ask her why a dream a dream she never dies wipe that tear away now from your eyes Were the lyrics meaningful to you? Oh. In yeah. Completely. Like, I mean, 
you've got that is my favorite song but there's just so many lyrics and I know when you asked me about this I, I was like there's so many I can't think of them all but if I had to say some of them that really hold true there's obviously um be yourself you can't you be no one to else be yourself. Um, you gotta make it happen you know, after I met them that one day, there was not a doubt in my mind that, that that was not a chance thing, that I was starting to create my own reality. And they knew it. They knew the secret. I, I've listened so many times because I, I, I thought and whether, you know, Noel always pretends that, you know, oh, these words just came to me and I just said them. And it's just that I don't know if he's just like, if it's true, is he lying to us or or fuck? Some of that shit's pretty deep. Like, you know how many times and I got a BMW because of the fucking supersonic. <laughs> I wouldn't drive any other car than a Beamer <laughs> so that I could like put that song on and like cruise. You know, just all of it. And, and I tried to look at, you know, many times into the sleeve and I, I tried to look in to see what was hurting them so bad as well. And, and I would listen to, I would, I wanted to know what their pain was about. I wanted to know why they're always talking about cocaine. Like that, I just, I didn't get it. Um, and I, I felt bad for them. And I thought, you know what? they must be hurting too because their parents are divorced as well. I bet you, but you know, they're hiding it just like I'm hiding it or they're coping the way I'm coping. And I looked for that in the lyrics. It's so interesting, isn't it? That it's like, you're saying you could hear, you can hear that they must've gone through something. And at that point, did you know that they had gone through this stuff or was it kind of just, you just felt it? I must've known that they were, had a divorced family. And I think that's what I really like loved. I could feel hurt. I thought I could feel hurt, maybe. Yeah. Because they were always singing about doing drugs and escaping, right? So Yeah, a lot of escaping, a lot of wanting to get away, wasn't it? So take me away just for today. Cause I'm sad here on my own. I'd like to be under the sea, but I probably need a phone. This old town don't smell too pretty And I can feel the warning signs Running around my mind The little things that make me so happy because um, 
I always had the sense that on the one hand, hearing Morning Glory for me always felt like I was listening to people having a party, especially in Hello. It felt like, wow, there's a party going on in my CD. Like, I want to jump into it. Like, we live in the shadows and we had the chance to throw it away. And it's never gonna be the same. same time there's these really melancholy lyrics underneath it and yeah as you say that pain because um especially like the light and shade of the songs and the way they're connected to each other when you go through hello and roll with it and then you go down with wonderwall and especially when it gets to um some might say um it suddenly lifts and although it seems like such a happy song or celebratory song I I feel quite sad when I hear it particularly when I hear it on the album after Hey Now because that there's something very melancholy about that so there is there is something very painful I feel anyway something quite painful about the happiness at the same time um which you're kind of naming I think um, I always knew that they were a bit angry, but they were they they somehow they were angry boys, but they were also um, they were very sad as well, or, or there was some sort of yeah. But when you said something about um, you said that there you felt like there was a party in Morning Glory, yeah, that that song, uh, especially at the beginning, that. Nah, 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 you know at the at the beginning and and they're talking about white lines and at the time i thought you know i thought cocaine was this thing you do one line and you're gonna like die like i didn't know what cocaine was but now knowing that they were just doing like line after line and and they were like rising to stardom and stuff it made me actually feel quite sad i was like why do these boys have to have to do so much drugs you know they must be hurting and that song actually kind of scared me not scared me but it was one if there was one that I would bypass the odd time and I'm, I'm not talking very often it, it may have been that one because it was a bit mm. it was a bit scary for me I think yeah maybe a bit hedonistic or kind of yeah it was just a bit like yeah like just too much on the edge for me like like I said I need that calm water yeah I think it's yeah. just about that for me yeah yeah I guess at the same time you're seeing interviews with Oasis and Noel and Liam and things that they're saying. Do you remember specific things that they said that you felt affected you or impacted you in some way? But I always saw Noel like, you know, trying to keep his brother in check and and you know that that famous interview when he's like, "Look, 
you know, you lot think it's rock and roll to be jumping off of fairies or whatever. And he's just trying to be the serious one. And he's trying to be the look guys, we can't fucking blow this, you know, without saying it like that. Here's a quote for you from my manager, Marcus Russell, right? He's a fucking other fucking Shut up you dick, <laughs> right? He gets off the ferry after getting fucking deported. I'm left in Amsterdam with my dick out like a fucking spare prick at a fucking wedding. Move, Shut up! Shut up! Right? He gets off the ferry. Marcus says, what are you fucking doing? You know, what the fuck's got... Wonderful, what? magical, wonderful. What are you doing all that? He says, Right? Yeah. These lot think it's rock and roll to get thrown off a ferry. No, don't. To get, shut up. These lot think it's rock and roll to get thrown off. Shut, shut the fuck up, man. These lot think. And we're going to have to say this fact, are you going to shut up? These lot think it's rock and roll to get thrown off a ferry, right? To come into hotel fires, to get everybody at it, no, and they go, shut up. They start thinking, hey, it's rock and roll. No, it's not my manager said to him. He said, nah, rock and roll is going to Amsterdam. Yeah. Doing your gig, playing your music, that's rock and roll. Right. Right? And coming back and saying, we blew him away. Not getting thrown off the ferry like some fucking scout schlepper with your fucking, with being handcuffed. That's football hooliganism. No, it isn't. And I won't stand for no, it. No, it isn't. So it's sick. And they all got, and listen, they all got fined a thousand pound each. I just saw him holding so much responsibility, but yet keeping cool, just cool as a cucumber with those with those shades on. And I'm just like, it's all about Noel, man. It, it was always about the attitude with me it was always this I don't care like they were always sitting there you know hands crossed glasses on half engaged like I just that's how I felt you know like I did not want to sit there and be attentive Noel was me you know with the hard exterior never smiling just annoying little brother you know I I I could identify with Noel and Liam was my brother you know like and and be in this like you know, I just, I way liked their world where things were just like a bit, who gives a fuck kind of thing. And I, I loved that, I guess you could say bad boy attitude. I liked the rebelliousness. I I also just loved the way they persevered. I, I keep coming back to that, I suppose. But, you know, in the reality in Moose Jaw, you had your little council, your little you know, guidance counselor telling you to go to university and go, you know, go be a doctor, dentist or whatever, because, you know, these are the real jobs. And this is like, you know, you, you grow up with this sort of blind, I mean, I did at least where I wasn't listening to my true north, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do what's expected of me. I'm going to go straight to university. I'm going to get, be a teacher. I'm going to do this. And literally, like, you know, I just blindly went into it. And, and by the time you're done university, you've got the degree and now you're in the house and now this and that. And it's like, okay, I, I actually didn't really do what I wanted to do. So, so that just kind of was autopilot. You, you, you know, you get, you know, you, you do whatever people tell you to do. Go to university, get your job, get married, blah, 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 do whatever. There was moments where I just, I kept feeling like, you know this isn't right you know like I love fashion there's not much fashion here you know people aren't really cultured how come on my breaks everybody's talking about renovating their kitchen like I just actually don't care about this shit like 
you know, um, never really traveling. So I never really knew what was out there. Um, yeah. And then the fire happened. I wanted to kind of go back a bit when you said you went to university, it was to train to be a teacher. Was that was yeah. what you were doing? Yeah. So how long had you been teaching before, before the accident that you had? Okay. Two years. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And are you okay with explaining what happened? I I can explain it. So yeah, take your time. Don't worry. Um. Right. Okay. So so basically, um, it, it was a Friday. It was November eighteenth, two thousand and five. And um, because it was a Friday, I was wearing jeans, which is uh, actually important detail. Um, 10 to 3, school is out at 3.30. 10 to 3, the teacher from next door comes in and says, hey, Cynthia, would you like to do that? Could you do, the kids are asking if you would do that experiment again that you did in the morning because, um, you know, it's Friday. It's, you know, we're all about to have the weekend. And um, I said, sure, why not? Sure, why not? And uh, so we ended up doing this experiment where there's a bit of methanol and you, you, put, you put the methanol in like one of those like four liter water jugs and you put it into the fume hood, you light it and it makes a big flame. Um, you just use the vapors because it's obviously uh, very potent. Yeah, it's crazy. Every time I, I think about this, I can almost like feel it again. But anyways, um, yeah, so I, I, the, the school had smelled like rotten eggs that morning and I wasn't aware of this at the time, but there was some ventilation issues and I'm not quite sure if that has anything to, to do with everything, but for whatever reason, when I lit at that time, the fire came at me, I was holding a bit of fuel and I basically I went up into flames. As you can imagine, in, and, and the kid that was lighting it also went into flames. Um, as you can imagine, um, you know, having a kids, 35 kids that are 16 years old that you're responsible for and that happening is undescribable. Yeah. And, you know, all I remember is drop, roll, roll, you know, and, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I must have had some sort of body dysmorphia or something because I was like, is my eyebrow like because my eyebrow had like singed off and I was like you know what happened to my eyebrow like is my eyebrow okay and like I just you know I was in such shock and trauma so basically um the burn unit was an hour and a half away all I remember is the um the ambulance coming to get me and my legs obviously I had poured the fuel on my legs and it it had started on fire and the reason I'm, I'm very grateful is that I was wearing jeans is because if that was polyester, I probably would have had my legs amputated. Like, so, so they took me in a, in a, um, in a ambulance and all I remember was them giving me an injection of uh, painkillers about this long morphine. And I went straight to sleep. I woke up at 12 o'clock at midnight and I looked down at my legs, which were never 
had nobody put water on them nobody put any coldness to them so they literally burned like skin on bone for eight hours slowly lifted my the thing and I looked at my legs and I nearly passed out and I just said to my mom why did nobody put water on my legs I couldn't even speak for myself because I was I had I had put my hand in water and you can see my hands are perfect I think there's a bit of discoloration on that hand you can barely see it yeah I can hardly I wouldn't have known even yeah 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 and I have a feeling that my legs may have been the same deal if 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 that never happened and um basically it looked like a shark attack so they had to take uh not only is that like traumatic with the kids and everything um I I actually was just two months married so that's another thing and and you know I was just about to go on holiday uh, my honeymoon uh, with my bikini packed you know that's never gonna happen now and um they had to scrape the backs of my legs because uh my skin wouldn't heal fast enough there was 17 percent of it was gone so they needed to scrape the back of my legs, put the flesh through a meat grinder machine to make it like perforated and make it make it more and then stick that to the front of the legs and let it heal. So you can imagine, you know, the, the physical amount of pain that that actually was when you have millions of your nerve endings exposed like the the shaving was even worse than the you know I remember them that night they gave me like a towel and I said well what's this for and they said bite it we're we're about to clean your your wounds and you need something to you know for the pain and they gave me another huge injection of morphine and it was just oh it was just something else but you know, I, I honestly felt suicidal after that. Like, you know, I thought it was my fault. Like it is my fault. I've injured another kid, you know, uh, you know, my, my body is fucked up, you know, there goes my beauty. There goes my youth. There goes my sexuality. There goes like me wearing nice clothes. My life was over, you know, and it had just begun. And that was the prison I put myself in, right? You've got a feeling lost inside it Just won't let you go Your life is sneaking up behind it Just won't let you go No, it just won't let you go The level of speed that you would have had to be thinking at in that moment, the way it happened. And then you had these younger people that you were also looking after and trying to sort of manage your own pain and yourself. I can imagine you were in immediate emergency mode. Your brain would have gone straight into fight flight. And then the fact that post that you're then having to piece together what's happened and I guess the the anger again I'm wondering because because you're you're saying about the um that they didn't cool down your legs and and perhaps feelings of anger and injustice about it and rage even and all those feelings that would have surfaced then and may have even brought up feelings that you'd experienced when you were a child as well just a sense of injustice 100% like just knowing and, and that story kind of even goes on more because 
gosh. But by the time I got back to the school, the, the, the fume hood had been replaced. Reports had been signed off. I got no money and like no nothing. I think I got a hundred, a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars because uh, burns were were a hundred bucks. Whether you you a pay a little burn or a huge burn, and I remember these white men in suits, you know, the big director and the big, the big principal telling me after, you know, you need to pose with this check, uh, you know, from the firefighters, and that was sort of did all the out of pocket costs. But looking back at it, it was like I was. I looked like I was receiving $10,000 is what it looked like. And, and, and I was like, I don't want to do this. And they're like, no, you will do this. And, and that being powerless and voiceless and like being this 25 year old woman who didn't want to stick up or ruffle any feathers because these guys in suits were telling me, you know, be grateful for this and you have a good job. And, 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 Oh, I was angry, you know, and, and, and I know if, you know, if you Google enough, you can see me with that check and I'm just pissed off inside that, you know, and I'm more pissed off about, you know, what the, the mistakes that are made in the medical system. And I know they're just trying their best, but God damn it, you know, put some, put some water on that, like, you know, relieve the burning. Cause essentially now I have to live with this for the rest of my life. And I didn't have the greatest self-esteem to begin with my life was over as I knew it at that moment, you know, suicide, depression, antidepressants followed, hard drugs followed, just on the road to nowhere fast after that. saying it doesn't sound like there was much emotional support around you whilst you were going through that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so looking back like I remember them telling me like you know here's the STF they have a counselor for you so you know I still remember him he was like some I mean bless him he tried his best but I, I mean he, he was like some 50 some year old guy that you know I, I couldn't connect him I didn't think he understood what it was like to be a young uh, still you know female wanting to wear a bikini on her honeymoon or anytime or not being able to wear shorts like I couldn't connect with the free help they gave and then it was just like okay we'll take these pills and, and so I took them and then I was like well why does he keep upping the dose you know like I, why is no one why am I blindly taking all this why am I 
why am I doing all of this? You know, I'm just getting fatter. Uh, you know, I had to learn, like I, I lost so much weight in the hospital and then, and then I gained it all wearing these pressure. I had to wear these pressure um, garments for two years after because uh, to push the scars down so they weren't bumpy and everything. And uh, yeah, to be honest with you, I never bloody talked to anybody about it. I actually literally didn't. I just, yeah, <laughs> I guess I didn't. That would so that was where the the drug taking I guess took its place or the self harm and must have been you know it was just I couldn't see a way out of the the dead end job that was draining me like the teaching job was draining me I wasn't happy I felt like the people around me you know were so judgmental if I even wore heels to work like it was you know I just I simply was too too creative or too you know it was too small a place or something it was not cultured enough for me and it I didn't belong there I did not belong there and it was hard to let go because you know the the paycheck sure made sure that I stayed you know the the position I held was quite high you know like at 25 years old I don't know too many head of chemistry you know like the guy before my job had been there 40 years and then I came in and took his place. Like, you know, most people were supply teaching at my age. So it was hard to walk away from all that, you know, but, um, and, and perhaps even with the fire happened in 2005, I think I still went back and I tried to like, just keep on and carry on. Right. Like I did travel for a year. And uh, when I got back, I really started thinking then I was like, you know, I really want to leave this job that pays so well, but uh I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do with that. And, and I was still pretty depressed about the, the fire and everything. And I remember like, just, I got into drugs and I got into like doing like self-harm and I still remember some of those times, like really stoned. And I was like, I need to put on like Idler's dream where I need, I need Noel's voice to bring me back to some sort of calmness and literally like he, he would heal some of that anxiety. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned Idler's Dream. I, I'm really kind of curious about that, like what it was doing for that music, what it was doing for you. With the Idler's Dream, it was just, now let me just think of that song. It was just his, it was any ballad with Noel by himself because I always knew, even as a young teenager that that was how he expressed his hurt now I don't know how I knew that but I just felt that because he because he had that front and he was very like calm cool and collected but then when he opened his mouth and sang it was like a it was just so soothing so healing so so only Noel's voice is like that you know and he he had this way of you know everyone always talked about Liam and the Liam songs and this and that but his ballads are so underrated his he is so underrated you know and I that's why I, my heart goes out to him for all these people who like unfairly judge him without knowing like he is just he's he's quite a sensitive person as well and he's he's his his music is quite calming and even though Maybe he's not as hands-on as like Liam or as expressive. He's still, there's so much emotion. There was so much 
I, I can only imagine that it is emotion or that that's why it comes out so beautifully, but there's just something about it that would just regulate my baseline and take my anxiety away. physiological impact on you in um, balancing something out for you, regulating you. Um, would that be moments in kind of like panic or, um, or, or you know, what kind of state would you be feeling in for, for you to say put on a song and that happened to you in that moment? I'm happy that you used the word panic because that just triggered something that I I remember from the interviews. So the other thing I loved about Noel, that the thing that I just loved about him so much is he quit drugs cold turkey. That's a very, very um, powerful narrative that always came through is like, I was like, look at how strong this man is. You know, he has all the drugs around him. Obviously they're all going crazy during the first albums and he describes himself as being like this older, wiser person, looking back at the party that one last time, feeling so much anxiety and saying, you know what, fuck it, I'm walking away and I'm quitting cold turkey. And all these other rock stars were dying, they were in rehab, they were, you know, and here's my hero, Noel, just, of course, I'm just gonna like quit like that. If there was gold medals for taking drugs for England, I'd have won a shitload. <laughs> And I enjoyed it, but it was kind of got to the point where I'd just I'd done them all and that was it and there was none left and I was like, well, I can't be asked anymore. <laughs> but there was a moment, wasn't there, when you actually, there was a, 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 a physical moment where you thought, no. Yeah, I mean, how it's, been, how it's been portrayed in the past is kind of I stood up at a party and went, and this should be my last line, <laughs> right? And after this, there will be no more. You know, it's kind of, we were at a party one night and it was just, I got up one day and I thought, I can't be bothered today. And then one day turned into a week, and that turned into a month, and then that turned into a year. And then I kind of just enjoyed not being out of it all the time. And then as that kind of, as that kind of state of mind took hold, I'd kind of go out with the people who I was surrounded with at the time, and be sitting there thinking, I don't even like you. Your bird's an idiot, you know. <laughs> what are you doing in my front room? And in the end, it's kind of, everybody just kind of left the party, if you like, and... I just left to get on with life, I guess. Is it a struggle, though? I mean, do you have to reorganise your, your life, not to go to the old haunts and meet those old people not really. again? It isn't. Not really. I mean, there's no, there's no temptation there. You've got, you've got to be strong-willed anyway, right, to say... And vanity plays a big part in my life, you know what I mean? Oh, well, my teeth were falling out and all sorts, you know what I mean? And kind of... Nobody wants to look like a weirdo, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um... In the beginning, I don't want this to sound like my drug is hell, because it wasn't hell. It was fantastic. I had some of the most monumental nights out ever. A monumental nights in wrote some of the best songs, met some of the greatest people in some of the greatest parties, man. And, um, <laughs> but there just came a point where it's like, I can't be bothered anymore. I just loved him for that as well, because I knew that if he could do it, I could do it. You know, if he can just quit something cold turkey, if he can just do it and get on with it, so can I. And that was just so so 
inspiration there's something so inspirational about him you know um for me mm-hmm. and I think he got me through that drug phase and then I was just like you know what like um yeah I was just like you know if he thinks if, if he can just quit it like that so can I and I think it was I think it was like that almost mm-hmm. yeah so literally as well you were like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna quit I, I did. Yeah. I think I, I ended up do, stopping like the harder stuff. Like I'll still smoke weed and stuff, but like, yeah, I, that, that was not a good time in my life when I was doing the harder stuff, because then I could notice that my nervous system was kind of like, you know, I was very out of control and needing to hear his voice to bring me like, that's just not the way I want to live. You know, it's not, it's not a very organic true way and and I realize now looking back that I just was not listening to my true north you know I was just trying to keep going in this old job and do the same old things and of course that's where the anxiety comes from is you know you you want something bigger and better for yourself or there's something there's some other route you should be following Mm. I think that Mm. I was like suppressing or whatever so yeah one summer and so that my life sort of was on autopilot I would say until 2008 mm-hmm. and I, I just remember one summer I was I was sitting there and and and, and Oasis said that they were coming to the, like because because I live in Canada and I live right in the middle everybody skips over you know bands skip over they go from Vancouver to Toronto like they never come mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like Oh, Oasis is coming August 28th. And I was like on the phone. I still remember where I was like in in the back of this hotel. I snuck out because I was working and I was like, I need to get those tickets. Like I I need to be the first caller. I need to see these guys. I need to, I've never seen them before. I need to get these tickets. So I ended up getting the 13th row and I got those tickets and I was like, those, that's not, that's my backup ticket. I was like, you know, I'll give those to my brother. I want the front row. I want to, I want to see them really up close and uh, I ended up getting the front row tickets and I, I, I went to the gig. It was my first time seeing those boys. And I remember looking up at Liam and, and seeing his crow's feet. And I was like, wow, he's, he's aged, you know, like these boys are not the young, you know, they're, they're, and, and there was Noel not smiling, like perfectly like I wanted to see him. And I was right in front of him. And it, it was just so magical to have them in that moment, like right in front of me. And after that date is when I started thinking, you know what, I've got to get myself out of here. I, I, I think that I'm not supposed to be a teacher in this little town. I think that I am supposed to, you know, I, I wasn't sure what it was, but I just need to follow the music and follow my intuition. Mm-hmm. And by some fluke, if you remember on this tour, Noel got pushed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they, they, I, this was like the only gig and then they had a few more gigs and then that was the Canadian tour, but they came back because he got pushed. So they came back to a city called, believe it or not, London, Ontario. And I got tickets. Of course I got tickets and I flew there on a weekend across the country to see them because I needed more, whatever it was that I got here. I wanted to know why my mind like switched and why I changed. Why did I say I was so bloody happy? And uh, I was third row this time. And as soon as the lights went down, I just went straight to the front. Didn't get caught by security. And 
during supersonic Liam gave me his tambourine and I was like holy shit I came back on Monday and I showed my kids like my students I was like look what I got I'm like he gave and they were all cheering and everything we're playing super champagne supernova and I said I I I just need to follow this like whatever's happening here I I I I'm slowly realizing that this life is is a life that I was on autopilot and I was listening to everyone else. And here's these boys, my whole life, they were telling me to follow my dreams and whatever. So then I made the plans then to go to that third gig. That was the Roskilde gig um, where, you know, there was about 70,000 people there. Me and my sister had waited all day in the lineup and I was wearing a short short pink dress that was a little bit see-through. I, I got it like uh, from a little vendor in Denmark. They have some of the cutest fashion in Denmark. And I would never wear this kind of thing back home in Canada because I, I after the accident, I really covered up, you know, shorts, long shorts, was never gonna show a scar. Um, you know, I hid behind clothing. I hated going to the toilet because I had to deal with my legs or getting undressed or showering. And I had waited all day in the sweltering sun, uh, you know, with my scars out. And I'm like, you know, nobody has said anything to me. I totally thought somebody would be like, oh, what's that? And you tell yourself all these things and create all this, like why I can't show my legs, why I can't show my legs. So anyways, so, so waiting all day, not being judged by anyone, I felt a sense of freedom in Europe. And it was the sense of freedom that I could, I only saw and imagined from the YouTube videos, I would, I would watch of main road 96, to be honest. And I'd, I'd be like, you know, I need to get to Europe to experience like the people and the movement and the front row and the, them singing at me. Like, I just need that. And I had that during the, the gig, like it was in the front row. It was amazing. I could feel everything. And I think there was a moment after the gig uh, where we managed to get backstage and, you know, everyone, you know, Nine Inch Nails were also headlining. So you had all their fans and it was, it was just such an eclectic mix of people. And I saw, I spotted Liam and I said to my sister, I said, you know, we should go say hi to Liam and just say, just say thank you for everything, just to be polite. Like that's, that's literally my words. You know, I just, I had already said hi to Noel. So I had, you know, done that. Uh, and I had this persona of, of what Liam was, like obviously like the way he's portrayed in the media, you know, as this hard guy or whatever. And I, I was really afraid of him actually. Um, <laughs> and he just asked me, you know, he's just like, you know, where are you guys from? And he, maybe he said something about, you know, your dress, like, you know, it's nice dress. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I love coming to Europe because I feel like you guys are less judgmental and you guys don't say anything about my scars. And, and then I sort of went into that spiral where I was sort of like poor victim me, I can't wear shorts. And I, I started telling him all this stuff. <laughs> and I remember this moment, he just looked at me and he was just like, oh, he's like, if I had those scars, I would just wear shorts all day long and I wouldn't give a fuck. Oh, amazing, yeah. And as soon as he said that, I was like, wow, here's, you know, here's me every day of my life since the accident saying, 
I'm never going to be happy again. You know, the happiest days of my life are gone. But here I am in this moment. And I can't deny that, you know, I'm so happy to be sitting here talking with like two of my favorite like people on earth. You know, it, it was wrong what I was telling myself, you know, you're never going to be happy again, you're never going to be able to wear shorts again. And I think there was just this in the simplicity of what he said, it just kind of was like, yeah, well, if, if Liam doesn't have an issue with it, why the hell do I have an issue with it? He didn't care. There was like no judgment. And it was just like all the, yeah. And see, look, it is, it, it does bring up, you know, some, some emotion, but it was like, yeah, if one of my idols or if one of the people who I grew up listening to who obviously helped me self-soothe and regulate my emotions as a teenager doesn't give a fuck that I'm decrepit or whatever I've been telling myself in my mind why should I care in fact I should be celebrating and I should be you know happy and blessed that you know you know, I had this moment where they turned, I feel the, I feel that night saved me. I wasn't the same after that. I hope you know that. Like, you know, I just wasn't the same after that. Was it like a light switch that went on or was it a kind of gradual reflecting on what he said that kind of seeped in? It was it was a light switch, maybe for many reasons, maybe because I had judged him before I met him as well. And he turned out to be like a really nice person. And like you, you, you would hope that, you know, like I said, like the, the people that you look up to and you invest so much time listening to and, and buying their records and following them all over the earth. Like you, you would hope they're nice people. And he, he was, I was, I, yeah, I was wrong in my judgment about him, number one. And, and then he goes and validates that thing that uh, he just, yeah, he completely said something that changed the way I thought about something that was massively bothering me on a daily basis, yearly basis, and was keeping me from flying. It was keeping me from achieving any goals. And it was, it was horrible. He is released from a prison sort of thing.
I just started realizing that maybe some of these things I'm telling myself are actually not true and I'm telling myself falsehoods and then these things become a baseline and then you 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 know your mental health becomes dwindled because you keep telling yourself this baseline and you keep yourself here Mm -hmm. I feel like he rescued yeah I still feel sometimes like he rescued me from that there's something quite sensitive about him and and particularly his history growing up It, it feels like he gets he gets it he gets people's sadness and trauma and and that he feels it and knows what to do with it oh you've you've absolutely hit the nail exactly on the head and I do at this point like want to bring Noel into it as well because I think you know and and it sucks the way this thing has played out in social media between those two and you have this generation of people that are all anti-Noel but Noel's the exact same way. And, and, and I, I get what it feels like for those two guys to hate each other. And that goes back to their childhood, you know, when no one stops and thinks about that stuff. Um, in fact, the weird uh, fact about this whole trip to Roskilde is me and my sister hated each other our whole life. And we decided to take this trip together to work at this festival, collecting bottles for a charity just to see Oasis. And two days before we almost went home because we were fighting so bad. And that night that we met them, we just knew that the, the, the rift between my sister and I could never be there anymore because this band that we both loved brought us together I mean we met them together you know my sister and I became friends that night we, we loved each other once again The way you're describing it is is almost like it was it was meant to be like these three instances were steps to change your complete experience isn't it though right like it's weird it's weird yeah what's happening when you say that I just I just remember my BMW you know I'm 15 years old doing the um the the sunroof and playing that you know like you know, Liam greeted, he took me to school every morning, you know, he took me home, he, you know, he took me to work, like there was always his voice and that music, my whole life, it had been there. And even though I maybe shut it out for a while, went to university, did what I was supposed to do, they were always in the back of my mind, you know, like, as a silent force, maybe wondering what they're up to. And then when they finally came in 2008, Oh, I, I think I never, I was changed person after those gigs, yeah. for sure. Isn't it fascinating? Because I just think 
so many people, I mean, people talk about bands and music influencing them and inspiring them, but the level of depth that it really goes to, that this is more than them just inspiring people to change their lives just for the sake of it. They go deep into pain and trauma and there are so many stories like this with Oasis fans where if you go into their story and history you'll find trauma somewhere and we'll talk about how Oasis um, has had an impact on that so it's not just the music it's the whole thing as you say it's there there's something about um, Noel's resolve his trajectory, his um, way of articulating. And then at the same time, it's the music that has a physiological impact on the body. So when people are talking about Oasis being a kind of bad influence or um, that they didn't encourage, you know, I think it was Keely from Block Party and some other um some other journalists that said that they celebrate mediocrity, you know, and then you hear your story and you think it's the opposite, that there's something very life-changing in in their whole package. I would say it's a positive influence. If anything, it sounds like it was quite a responsible one if you take away the kind of tabloid uh, image. They were encouraging people to live and and progress. You've described so powerfully that kind of, you go to Roskilde, a light bulb goes off. What happened next? Noel was the first person I had ever seen. Like he was waiting there right when we walked in or whatever. And I said, I, the first question I asked him, I said, is, 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 was Main Road one of the best gigs? And he said, yeah, yeah, it was. And I just knew it because I had watched the videos and I saw the energy and stuff. And I, I wanted to confirm that with him, first mm. of all. Mm. And I said, where else should I see you? Like, where else should I go for like that feat? And he was like, Wembley. We got two, three shows at Wembley. And uh, he's like, I can put you on the list if you'd like. Oh. And my fucking reaction, uh, being this responsible teacher in this other world that I'm pleasing other people and everything was, I actually can't. I said, I have a plane ticket going home. I have to correct government uh, exams. I just simply can't do it. Can you imagine? Like, I said no, and they broke up a month after, if you remember. I just can't. And this is something that I just regrets galore. You know, I still think about how stupid I was in that moment, being such a young idiot and, and living that life of, of pleasing people, being responsible, and doing shit I didn't want to do. Mm. And I think, again, that anger that we talk about, maybe I was pissed off, and I'm like, fuck this shit like I can't believe I gave that up like and I started thinking like I'm just gonna go to I remember shutting the door to my classroom and I said you know what kids I need you to all just be quiet here like I need everyone to just shut their books and I need to say something I said you know I'm going to fashion school in London I just don't actually care and and like all the kids were like yes and like you know you tell adults that and they were like well, yeah. how are you going to do that then? How are you going to be a stylist? How are you going to, you know, and it's always like this questioning. And I was like, yeah. oh, I don't care how. I'm just going to go do it. Because yeah. cause now, you know, I'm not letting that go by again. Mm. So, I mean, I think from there, that moment of like, like I held on to that moment of 
meeting them mm -hmm. and realizing how happy I could be and, and realizing how stupid I was to not take that offer. Uh, I wasn't gonna, I, I was gonna, I was gonna, I needed to be closer to the source. Like I almost mm -hmm. needed to come to London because obviously fashion is a massive thing here. Mm -hmm. And this is where I should be not in, you know, Moose Jaw or wherever, mm -hmm. like, I, I, I needed to be free. So I ended up going to the London College of Fashion, talking them into, you know, I'm a chemistry teacher, but I think I could do some buying and merchandising, maybe, you know, that's with numbers, that's with maths. And I, I sort of got in that way. And, and then I, I was here already. And, and I started going to the gigs, you know, there's more gigs here. Of course, it was BDI and all that. But by the time I got here, it was never the same. But it didn't matter. I was here now. And, you know, I was then I just went into the fashion bit, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I guess I, in some ways forgot about them again, because, you know, obviously they're different now. They're, they're mm -hmm. separated. Um, always wishing that they would get back together, you know, obviously, but mm -hmm. I, I had so much life to live and catch up on at this moment. So mm -hmm. I, I came here and I, I just became dedicated to be, to be a stylist. And I mean, I think, I think in 2016, I finally got hired by Selfridges as like Christmas help. And I, mm -hmm. I, I basically had a, a wonderful manager who believed in me and she made me a stylist. And yeah. there it is on my business card. You know, I look at my business card and it's it's freaking stylist now, you know, and I just. Amazing. Yeah. I think I was never going to let that that like pass by again and I, I really knew mm. that meeting them was not a chance occurrence mm. like this does not happen to just people like me like mm. this happened because I wanted it to happen because I dreamed it would happen mm. because I you know followed my my dreams to seek out their music or to seek out that main road experience like that 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 main road where all the people are moving together like I wanted that and mm -hmm. I made that happen at Ross Guild with my sister and I just was never the same after I experienced that mm -hmm. I don't know what it is mm -hmm. but that's what it is yeah <laughs> yeah look there's a whole bunch of science behind it and I'm sure I'm sure they're not the only band that do that, but this, this, these guys have something. Mm. Yeah. Like yeah. Say, the stories are coming up the same. So, I mean. Exactly. Yeah. It's that science behind it that I'm so intrigued by. I know some of it, like I, I speak to a lot of music therapists and I know a bit about how, um, you know, things like um, beats per minute can impact heart regulation and, um, and there's all sorts of things going on in the amygdala like I know that there is science that explains it and I almost feel like there's something extra in the sense that as well as the music there's their story and there's them and the, and that's part of the package too and it somehow all intertwines into something very healing a story uh just just echoing this this healing bit about it and um you might you might find some use with this uh, anecdote is that the day before I, the, the gig uh, where I met them there, me and my sister, I had mentioned to you that we were ready to go home. I was like pissed off with her. Like, this is not working out. Like, I just cannot stand you in my face. Mm. So I said, Megan, you go for a run. I'm going to go for a run. We're going to meet in this bar. We're going to have a beer. We're going to get our books. We're going to do a schedule. And if we can't work things out, we're going home. 
So we meet in the in the bar, and I just like I'm still hating her and everything. Deep down, I'm hating her. And I said, "There's a jukebox." I said, "Should we put like a few coins in it? Let's see if there's any Oasis songs on there. You know, we're gonna see Oasis in two days." So the song "Stop Crying Your Heart Out." Yeah. So I'm not lying. To you. This is the craziest thing, and I think I told Liam about it this day. I, I think I we told them because me and my sister were like, "Oh my god!" So we had wandered into this bar, and this pub was like filled with homeless people. Oh wow! We didn't know this, and we put the jukebox in, and we put on "Stop Crying Your Heart Out" on on repeat, and maybe we put like you know, you can choose three songs, and maybe the other songs were like just something else. Anyways, by the time "Stop Crying Your Heart" came on. Me and my sister had made up and we were just singing. All of a sudden, the whole freaking bar, and you have to remember that everyone speaks Danish. They didn't know the song. Like, I don't think they understood the song or, or knew Oasis. Maybe some of them did. But when I look back at the program, you know, Oasis was not the most popular thing in Denmark. But I remember the bartender like smiling at us. He raised the shots. Everybody was like celebrating, and there's this moment of unity that everybody had in this bar. You had homeless people crying while they were singing, "Stop crying your heart out." People were giving free drinks, and after that. My sister and I walked home, and I remember these people followed us and made sure we got to the hostel okay. And like, it was just, <laughs> it was just like huge family moment. And I was like, did that just like literally happen from us putting that song on? It's, it's one of those magical things that it's inexplicable, isn't it? And there are, so, there are so many instances like that that I keep hearing about that makes it, that there's something in this, you know? <laughs> That's great. I think they know it too. Mm. Like, they must know it by now. I think, mm. I think life passes by, you know, because you see so many interviews where they're like, they're, they're like, you know, uh, so how do you reach all these people? And, and then they give the microphone and they're like, I don't know, man. I just get up there and I do my thing. Like, I have no idea. I don't think about <laughs> it. It's like, no, you, you must have at some point, you know. Yeah. You know. I, um, I even gathered a few sort of like things that were important to me before, before the interview. And, and then this image is just something that I think. Oh, wow. The cigarettes and alcohol it, cover. That's the... Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, and I just, I always pictured this, I was this girl and how awesome that would be to hang out with them and like, you know, just to, just to be there in their company and stuff. And I yeah. think, you know, it's obviously, I have so much emotion and so much like, you know, it, it happens, it happens, you know, and it, it's just, that's the part that's very powerful to me as well as they this they have taught me or their music has taught me or the actions have taught me that what you believe in can happen like you know you, you it's, it's this whole idea again of the system it doesn't have to be the system that you don't want to fit into there is this like you know magical creative you know be who you want to be, be that rock star, like follow your dreams. That kind of message is in there as well. And um, that you're in control of it. You know, you, you got to make it happen, yeah. but 
you know, be yourself. You can't be no one else. Like just grounding, genuine, yet encouraging. It's all these things. Don't ever stand aside. Don't ever be denied. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You gotta roll with it. You gotta take it down. You gotta say what you say. Don't let anybody get in your way. Cause it's all too much for me to take. It's been a real privilege to speak to you, Cynthia. And is there anything that you're doing that you want people to know about? Yeah, I guess I, all I can say is, and I really wish for the younger generation of um, Oasis fans that they they do some research and that mm-hmm. they look at these gigs and that they go way back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to do with Style of Oasis. So mm-hmm. hopefully, I can somehow integrate it. Uh, mm-hmm going back into the archives with fashion, but I really, really would encourage, you know, BDI, Liam Gallagher fans, Noel, High Flying Birds, go back and to see where the the music first started, where that magic first started and Mm -hmm. discover for yourself, you know, you've got it on YouTube, you've got old magazines to go through, like, discover it, discover that for yourself, I Mm -hmm. suppose, like, you know, don't, Mm -hmm. don't just take the recent stuff there's just there's gold and platinum sitting there to be uncovered you know diamonds we know right coveted by those who know we know but anyway Um, and where can people find you if you if you want them to find you Ah, well, uh, they could find me on I'd Love Style of Oasis on um, Instagram or Twitter, or I mean, if you're more into the fashion thing, um, at Cynthia Liza Style, you'll find me there. I, and if you're ever in Selfridges, ask for Cynthia. Oh. That would be fabulous. Everyone knows who I am there. So oh, lovely. Perfect. Thank you so much. I have to say one, just one thing before we hang sure. up. I wonder if it's still here. Hold on. Okay. Let me just, let me just see here. Cause I have this over my door. Oh, and I think, yes. So I'm just going to try to show you this. This is like my door out. Yeah. I don't know if you can see it. I'm just going to open the door. So this, can you see that? Yeah. Oh, that's supernova heights. Yeah. So this picture that I got out of, and this is what I'll leave it on and then I'll really go, but uh, when I leave the house, because he's leaving the house in that picture, right? He's shutting the door behind him and it says champagne, it's supernova heights. And you hear the story of him saying how like, you know, he's just like, fuck it, it's supernova heights and it's what it is (laughs) and it's gonna be that. I remind myself every time I leave to be great and to be whoever I want to be because Noel, you know what I mean? Like Noel's cheering for me or Noel did it or like that, that is with me every time I leave my house, that supernova oh. heights stuff. So yeah. 
what a thing to leave it on. And you know, I can what I'm visualising in my brain now is at the end of this interview. You know how I'm going to end it. It was, you know, at the end of Be Here Now, where he slams the doors. I think it's um, is it the end of All Around the World? Right at the end, there's a sound of footsteps and then a door slamming. I think that was the Supernova Heights door. So, yeah. So I might put that in. <laughs> That's so perfect. Okay, cool. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.